Hello, listeners, friends, family members, finding strength, community. You guys are amazing. We are so excited for this episode. Sam nailed it. Um, You guys are in for a new experience on the Finding Strength podcast, something we haven't done before, which is hard to believe, right? We only have five episodes. (laughs) I feel like there's so many. (laughs) Right? This episode, we dive heavily into suicide and suicide awareness, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, and how we as a community need to be better at dealing with this issue. It's largely ignored, and we are blowing holes in stereotypes on this episode. Sam is an 18-year-old, I say 19 throughout the whole episode, but she's 18-year-old extremely wise um, daughter of a woman who took her own life. She gives us tools how to talk to people who've lost someone to suicide. She talks to us about how to find meaning in life after tragedy and how to help someone who is going through suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts. I'm really excited for this episode. I hope you enjoy it. And here it is, episode five of Finding Strength. If one more light goes out, well, I do. Hello, and welcome back to the Finding Strength podcast. Uh, just a recap well, last week, we met with our sex therapist, with our spouses. Oh, the sexy Mike episode. <laughs> that was freaking awesome. I loved everything about that. I, I loved it. I loved everything we talked about. I loved having our spouses there. I felt like we got so, so much content. There was so much to talk about. There's so much more we can talk about. There really is. And I, I think uh, in talking to him, he wants to come back on. He feels like there's more stuff that he could do as well. I think we can get even a little bit more down and dirty. I think mm-hmm. we could. I think we could really do some cool stuff. And next time we're getting questions. Yes. I, we're going to figure out a way for it to be anonymous because we want your questions. I know you all have questions, but yeah. you are scared to ask, so we're going to figure that out. We'll just tell everybody like three weeks beforehand, and then they can mail in their questions. <laughs> <laughs> Old school. Old school. <laughs> Today we have Sam, and I'm going to let Matt introduce her. Sam is here with us. Sam, say hello. Hey, guys. This is Sam. Sam has been in my life for a long time. She's helped me raise my children. She's kind of a pseudo child of mine. (laughs) I don't know. We've been through a lot together. And Sam um, is a listener of the podcast as well. Mm -hmm. Um. But you kind of, if you want to, are you cool? You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm Sam. Um, I've known Matt probably five, six years um, through an old friend of mine that actually used to watch his kids and kind of took over her spot when she moved. Um, I've been a part of their lives for several years. Um, So being here is super great because to know Matt on that kind of level and also love this podcast personally um, is super cool. So awesome. So I invited Sam on the podcast because, well, Sam has has gone through the struggles or watched the struggles of mental health on a very personal level. 
about how long ago did your mom take her own life? Um, a year. So September 2nd was the year mark. So just a little bit past that. Yeah. And during that time period, Sam and I were very connected. She was over at my house constantly. She'd stay over here with her sister. And it was just it was a really difficult time. And, and this being the Suicide Awareness Month and even have more heavily this week is the week that we kind of do a big push in the psychology community for suicide awareness. Um, I thought it would be really interesting to have your perspective and figure out, you know, what after your mom died, mm-hmm. what was that like for you? Like, what was the aftermath of going through your mom taking her own life? Um, it's, it's really, it doesn't end. It's not, it's not a state. It is a cycle. Um, maybe not a cycle, a process, but a process that doesn't end. I have three sisters at home who are gorgeous and I love them. Um, and I was lucky to have them during that. Um, we were all living at home when things got hard. Before I even talk about that, um, because my mom was more than her death, um, I want to talk about her before things were hard. So, um, most of my life was good with her. My relationship with her was great. Um, she met my dad, actually. He was a pizza guy. <laughs> oh, I like him already. <laughs> yeah. In college, and she worked at a gas station. And he would fill up his car at her gas station and bothered her enough to go out. So they met. She had already had two kids, which are my two older sisters. Um, they ended up getting married, and he adopted them as his. And then they had me. And then I have one younger sister as well. Um, she was really funny. She had all sisters as well, so we were just a freaking... We're a never-ending family of girls. (laughs) Um, But we spent a lot of my childhood camping and lots of board games that no one ever wanted to play, but we played anyways. Um, She worked at a gas station called Walker's while she was going through nursing school. And a lot of my childhood was eating gas station hot dogs in the back of that gas station. (laughs) Where did you guys live at this time? Orem. So I've been here my whole life. Um, Like the Walker's in Linden? Is that where she worked no, at? No, no, no. It was on State Street. It's now a car, like a car car lot. Oh, I grew car. up in Orem, so I'm like yeah. putting this together. Yeah, no, it was <laughs> lots of fun. So she's always been the, like, she was going to nursing school, but she's always been in the customer. Like, she likes people. She she stopped doing nursing because it wasn't enough um, customer care versus paperwork. And so, and it was also hard being around prescriptions and being a part of something that's so demanding of you mentally when you're not in the place to be. Um, And she ended up working at Ridley's last year of her life, and she loved it there. Was her second home, and they all came to my her funeral. So she was just a real big people person. And so before we, I even wanted to get into that heavy stuff. She is more than suicide and um, alcoholism and addiction. So. I love that. I I love you telling um, the awesome part of your mom because I agree. That's that's who she is. That is still who she is. This is one little piece that we're trying to help everyone else with, but what you're telling us right now is your mom. Yeah. I love that for so many reasons, Sam. I think probably one of the biggest ones is the reason why the loss of your mother is so 
tragic and awful and difficult for you to deal with is because she was such an amazing person. Yeah. And you probably see yourself and look in the mirror and see your mom. And that's yeah. something you do every single day. It's, it's also really hard because um, things started to get difficult my early years of junior high, which is when I met you guys. So, um, so the last like half of my life, things were hard with my mom. We were not close. We did not get along. I told several people that I hated her, which made her passing really difficult is to know I would never see her again. Um, and not have that relationship like we used to. And for me, that's been the hardest part. My last words to her were terrible. And I still live with those. And I think for me, that was the hardest part of the process was waking up in my grandmother's basement that next morning and realizing the last words that I said to her was telling her that she was resentful and that I hated her. And I was on your living room couch when I was on the phone with her that night. And that was the last thing she heard. And for me, that was the hardest part of the process. And I still, I still deal with that. Um, but like I said, it doesn't end. It's not a point where you're fine again. It's not a so many days where now I'm okay. It's not a, it's not a point. It's not a certain amount of therapy sessions. It's just, it doesn't. It yeah, doesn't. It's day to day. You're constantly yeah. every day. I, and I, I feel this way. Mine's you know, different, but I have to wake up every day and decide that it's going to be a good day. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be grateful for what's there. And that's, I'm sure it's the exact same for you. Yeah. At what age did you recognize that your mom had maybe some mental health problems? So this is also the thing growing up in a generation where everyone seems to be depressed and anxious. So when my mom used to tell me that, I was like, so what? Everyone's depression and anxious. I never understood because everyone goes through waves of this thing was hard or I'm anxious at this time. But the idea that someone was in that constant state did not make sense to me. And it was more frustrating because I thought she was choosing to be this way, choosing to feel this way to get attention. And growing up with it, seeing it every day, it still did not click in my mind. And I think that is my finding strength. My finding strength was finding empathy for her in her darkest times. Looking at her, And how she felt about herself. And even at the end of her life, she left because she felt it was better for everyone. That her love stood upon her pain and what she was going through. And she was willing to die because she thought her children and her husband would have a better life. And my fighting strength was taking that away from the fact that she's gone now. Is that she did it for love, even though it wasn't the right answer. But for me, that was my, my finding strength for her. How is your relationship with your dad? How has that been? Um, this past year has been difficult. Their last couple years of their marriage was not great. Um, he started dating about a month after her passing, which was really hard trying to be grieving, um, and raising yourself, basically. I mean, I don't mean to talk terribly about my, no, my I, dad, but... I, and I, I'm yeah. sure you love your... Every, yeah. You love your parents. But yeah. this, is, this is just your story, your... How, how it seemed to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also... 
it made me so aware of my younger sister. Um, and it really forced me to deal with things because when no one's there to hold your hand through the process or to really be there step by step and you're stuck with your own thoughts, you are forced to find the better or your life's just, it's just hard. So you, I mean, you say that Mm -hmm. because that's just who you are kind of naturally. Mm -hmm. You see the good in things. You are a grateful person. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that touched me about about what you were saying about your mom is that you have empathy for her and understanding that she was depressed. Yeah. And the way that she saw the world was differently than the way that you see the world. Mm-hmm. And if we, as a, as a culture, as human beings, can begin to grasp this idea that the way that I see the world can be vastly different than the way somebody else sees the world, mm-hmm. and observe that without judgment, yeah. the human culture would be closer. Because there's this judgment that we put out there on people, especially, you know, people who seemingly commit, you know, um, sinful acts. I mean, in in some cultures, and I wanted to get into this because I, I think it's important. In some cultures, faiths, religious beliefs, suicide is a, is a sinful act. It's something that you commit, mm-hmm. right? And part of the mission of mental health professionals is to destigmatize the mental health labels that that are constantly put on us. Mm -hmm. And I think when you say, I had empathy for my mom and understand that she was just genuinely sad Mm -hmm. and her taking her own life was her way of showing her love for us, that's a really different way to think about suicide that I don't think people really consider until they experience it. And I don't want to wait till people have to experience it to realize it. Um... I thought of this analogy a little while ago. Um, If you were to be walking the street and to be attacked and we're bleeding out on the pavement, you're going to wave people down, you're going to scream, you're going to try and get the attention of others. If you are bleeding out mentally on the pavement or in your bed, you're bleeding out with your thoughts and maybe your addictions or your self-hatred, you're going to do the same thing and try and get attention for someone to save you but in a different way. And it's really hard for us to see it because there is no blood. You, you can't really see that you're dying, but on the inside you are. Hmm. And so for me, I, it was always, she just wants attention. She just wants attention. And it's like, well, duh, she wants attention. She's dying. She's mentally, she's hurting. At what age, what age were you when she, when she died? 17. So you're a junior in high school at the time? Senior. Senior. It was the first week of my senior year of high school. Um, how did, did you go to school? Did you, how did you move forward? Say that first week, do you remember that first month? What were some steps you took to move forward? It seems so clear and like such a fuzz at the same time. I remember when I walked into my house that night and I knew that things she had attempted before and that was the thing it was just it was happening so often that nobody took it seriously anymore we were in the hospital every other week she was trying to take too many pills all the time I've walked I had walked in on her trying to attempt and had to restrain her with my own body so that she wouldn't until my dad got there so when I heard about these it was just like she'll be fine we'll deal with it later kind of thing when I got the call and I showed up to my house and saw all the cop cars in the ambulance 
and I had to push past a six-foot-something cop to get into my own home to see the aftermath. I, I can't imagine what my dad had seen, what he walked in on. But uh, seeing the bathroom for me was, was enough, and seeing her trying to be resuscitated by probably 20 um, nurses. I just remember sitting in that hospital for, it was nine hours in my work shirt. I had just gotten off work. Um, and waking up in my crown's basement the morning after. And I deal a lot with, I think teenagers deal a lot with jokes about killing yourself. I hear it all the time over the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. Someone drops the pencil. Oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. Bends over to pick it up. And nobody knows what the body of someone who's killed themselves looks like. Yeah. No one has a visual. No one knows what a cold, dead hand feels like. And they make these really insensitive jokes. So coming back to school was really hard because I heard that all the time. And you don't want to be the girl who's, who is just known as, yeah, her mom killed herself. So everyone's uncomfortable around and, you. Yeah. You feel so dumb for talking about these things or feel so outcasted because nobody has a clue. Which is odd coming from a generation that seems so depressed and has these issues all the time, but has no way to communicate it with others. Cannot talk to about to about it to their friends. Hey, my mom actually did this, and I know that you feel this way every day. Can we communicate? And it's just, it's just hands up. I'm uncomfortable. Or let's pretend like this isn't or, happening. Yeah. Do you have any ideas of how our generation or your generation could be better about creating that conversation? I know this is an attempt, but I mean, you you live in a world that's different than mine and Bethany's mm-hmm. world. I mean, you're now in college mm-hmm. and beginning to kind of put your mark on the world. What would that look like for you? Um, my school actually does... I go to UVU. I'm a freshman. I'm doing family science. Um, they offer therapy for $10 for those taking, I guess, a certain amount of credits. Um, my relationship with therapy and my process of healing was... It was money. You're right therapy is for rich white people. And I stopped going. I wasn't even paying for it, but I stopped going because I felt so bad that my dad had to pay for that on top of what all the other expenses that came with it. And so to have access for that, for that cost was just amazing to me. They have clubs, they have group therapy, all those kind of things. Um, as of conversation, people just don't know what to say. And so what are some of the things people said to you? Because I, you know, obviously in my podcast, I talked about some things that were really hard that people said to me, and mm-hmm. I felt like it was really helpful to others. Yeah. This, there's so many people dealing with this on a different level. Mm-hmm. What are some things that things have, people have said to you that you're like, please don't say that. Please. Are you okay? <laughs> How are you? Such a general question. Oh my. Such a mm. general question. That is how are you? How the freak do you, do you think, think I, I am? am? Yeah. But what do you say? I'm fine. I'm great. Thank great. you. Great. <laughs> Let's move on because that's a stupid question. Because that's what you're trying to get to when you ask that question. You're like, oh, I want to ask so that they seem so that I seem like I care, but I don't want to get into the questions that actually matter or affect them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when it comes to things where you don't know what to say, you just need to be honest. That's you just don't know. So when I reach out to people or I would talk about some things or I'd be like, today's really hard because of this date. And they'd be like, oh man, I'm sorry. And that's all you hear. I would just rather hear the honesty of, I, I don't know what to say. I haven't been through something like that because I'm a talker. 
you get me going and I'll do it for hours. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. So if you were to just accept the fact that you don't really know what to say to comfort me, but be there and be willing to listen, that helped me. There were nights at three in the morning where I called my grandma because it was just too much. She didn't say anything. She just brought a box of tissues and laid them down. And Did it help you to talk about it? Yeah. Yeah, but not everyone is like that. My sister's the complete opposite. She is a shut me in my room. I'm going to cry. That's what I want to do. And I've always been the person that's like friends, people, let's talk therapy. I've always just, that's just always been my way of healing. So maybe that's not for everyone. Maybe not just listening is not for everyone. But for me, it was just being, having people willing to sit down and say, what's up? What do you want to say? Because I'm here. Yeah, sit in the darkness with you. Our yeah. darkest moments are the moments where we connect to the deepest with others. And if we can sit next to someone in their deepest, darkest moment and just, you know, we, we, we've talked about this before on this podcast. I talk about it constantly in therapy with people. Find that person in your life who will just sit next to you. They don't have to hold you. They don't have to touch you. They just have to be with mm-hmm. you. That's that's what we as a as as a society, as a species crave is this human connection thing mm-hmm. that we are all so deathly afraid to experience, yet that's the thing we're all seeking. And it requires a certain amount of vulnerability to sit next to somebody when they're in their dark moment and just mm-hmm. sit and be able to deal with the discomfort of the pain that someone else is in. Mm-hmm. But when you can learn to do that, it, it changes everything the very landscape of the connection that you have with somebody. Yeah. And rather than making it about it, that was another thing is I, if anyone heard the topic suicide, they'd relate it to them. Oh yeah. My cousin's uncle brother's son committed suicide. And I'm like, you don't make this about you. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is. And I mean, it's not even about me, but people compare. Sometimes it's nice to have a connection of, Oh, you've been there too. But it, I feel like it almost always turns itself into, yeah, I've been there too. This was really hard. It's almost a competition. Whose was harder? Whose was most recent kind of a thing? And that was super frustrating to talk to people because it was like, you're not even here to listen. You're here to t- talk about yourself. And it was frustrating. <laughs> or find some type of comparison. I feel like and I think they really thing. thought they were helping. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, I've been there too. This happened. And it just ended up them talking about their struggle, which I mean... Again, might be helpful for others, but it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm really sorry, but I didn't care about anything else but what had happened to me then. And so for people to try and, I don't know. I don't know if that sounds selfish or something, no, but I just I didn't want to so hear it from other people. It's exactly what Matt's saying. You can't saying. relate it all, huh? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> it's ex- it, what you're saying totally rings true for me, where yeah. it's, I don't want to hear how... You know, I, I'd have people say to me, oh, well, my child almost died. You're like, great, cool. So maybe in your situation, if someone were to say, well, I'm, you know, my brother attempted suicide. Okay. That's different. That's different. Mm -hmm. And you should find someone that you can connect with. Yeah. This is different. And I need to find someone who I connect with. Yeah. My family talking like I said talking to about others was so frustrating because I felt even if I were to describe it in the clearest detail I could you really didn't get it and the only person people that really got it was the people that held my hand when I was going through it that night was my family and my grandma and sitting there no one 
had seen what I'd seen. No one had felt what I felt except those people. And when your family has a different way of coping than you do, like my sister, Mm -hmm. who doesn't like to talk, who just likes to shut the door, or my dad, who is social and deals with it by going out and doing other things, and one who keeps to herself, um, that was really hard because my grandma was the only one that I felt like I could release with because we grieve in the same way. But I only have so many people that really, truly get what I've been through. And so I don't know how I would have gone back and how I would have made that easier. And I don't think it would have gotten easier. But you need to find those people that will help you. And whether it's therapy, sometimes laying in your bed seems more of therapy than paying someone to talk to. But you need to find it and you need to do it. And you need to set that time aside or it will build up. Did your sisters and yourself, did you all see, I mean, experience this where your mom, as when she, it happened, did you see it? Who no, was there? No, no one was there. And I think that's why it's the only reason that happened. She knew my sister was asleep in the basement. Um, I was leaving work. No, I, it was, it's a crazy, but I was basically, I was leaving work and my dad had gone out with friends because it had been a fight the night before. I was here at Matt's the night before. Um, and I remember sitting on his couch telling him, if she's going to do it, then she's going to do it. Not really thinking that it was a real possibility. And she called me that night, and I said those things to her, and we hung up, and that was the last thing I heard. I didn't go to school the next morning. Um, and once I got off of work and I got the call and I knew things were different, we had all seen our bathroom afterwards. She had cut all of her major arteries. She bled out. Um, she had no heartbeat in the bathtub. And they found her. My dad found her and made the call to the ambulance. And by the time I got to the hospital, they had revived her. There was a heartbeat. And I remember I have a reoccurring nightmare every birthday or anniversary or anything of her body on the table just naked and all of her wounds wrapped up and having about 15 to 20 nurses trying to revive her and getting her heartbeat back I had never not been able to breathe like that to watch that was terrifying and so I hope that no one has to see what my dad saw I really do, but seeing the afterwards and the aftermath of all of that was hard enough, and I feel like that's also been a huge part of the process, is you don't ever unsee those things. And even in, I remember we went to go see a movie as a family the first week after she died, and I think it was like one of the Mission Impossibles, and I could not watch it, because the sounds of the knives were just, I couldn't do it. So. How have you been able to... Um because that's PTSD right there. And mm-hmm. I know I used to have nightmares for months and months and months. Yeah. How have you worked through that? Or have you worked through that? Are you still having nightmares all the time? I still do. I was actually at my boyfriend's house the night of her. So she, of the first, which the second is her anniversary. And I have two of the nightmares of her either laying on the table and me reliving them, trying to shock her, trying to get her heartbeat back. And also one where I'm behind, like, a glass cage watching her commit the act and not, like, screaming at her and her not being able to hear me. 
and I was in the middle of that nightmare when he stood over me trying to wake me up and I screamed. And I don't know what I would have done if he wasn't there that night. And I just sat there and he just held me like a baby. And I cried. And I still haven't figured out how to deal with those or how to treat those. Because they just kind of happen. And thinking that my mom has still been so hard. Because when you lose someone in that way, and especially with my relationship, the last few years was not great. So to think of my mom in the happy way that was has been more difficult than remembering her death and remembering our terrible relationship. And even now, a year and a, half, a year later, like I'm still, memories are still hard and I want to get to the point where they're good rather than reliving of the bad. I think we all want that. I think that's, that's part of something that, I, I mean, I haven't been through the same situation neither of you guys have been through and neither has any, you know, the clients I work with. But the thing that we all want is to get to this place where finally it's okay again. Mm-hmm. And good news, bad news is what it is. I don't think that place exists. And just understanding that where I'm at right now with what I'm dealing with is the best I can do is oftentimes the most solace and comfort that we can provide ourselves. Because I look at you and you and I see incredibly brave, strong women doing it. Like the hardest thing going on after immense tragedy. And I don't pretend to understand what that's like, but it's, in, it's inspiring and amazing and, and wonderful. And I wish there were a time where everything would just be okay again. But I think holding on to that hope makes this moment not enough forever. I agree. Yeah, it's like I said, where when I first thought she would die, when I first thought, when when she first died, I thought that there was a point. I was like, eventually this won't hurt me anymore. Mm -hmm. Eventually I'll be sitting there and I'll have my kids and we'll look at her pictures and it will be fine. But I will still be 35 in my bed at 2 a.m. crying every once in a while and that's going to happen. And that's part of the process. And that's, that's the... The body's natural response to grieving and loss. I mean, these nightmares that you're having, Sam, they're they're because your brain, a part of your brain is trying to file away and make sense of the unmake-sensible. It's it's impossible to comprehend why your mom took her life. And if we keep asking why my daughter died, why my mom took her life, why my cousin died, why, why, why? I mean, that's the wrong question. We ask it constantly. Because we want to know the reasons why these things happen. And in kind of a cruel, jokey sort of way, God, the universe, whatever, doesn't give us the answer to that. And so our job is to understand that we're not going to know why. And just just Mm -hmm. understand that I can make meaning out of this Mm -hmm. rather than somehow find a place where I understand why this all happened. No, right now there's meaning in this for me for some reason. And it's individualized and it's unique to each of one of us. And understanding that once once people grasp that concept, a light turns on. I've seen it with you. I watched you go through it. I see it with people all the time where they ju- it just clicks. And it's just like I get to decide what matters to me 
and I'm not waiting on anybody else to make this happen for me because I'm going to do it. And if you can do that after having lost your mom, everybody listening to this podcast within earshot of this, you can do it too. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a daily thing. Um, it was, it's interesting. Just this morning I woke up early and I, I don't even know why it's, it's five o'clock in the morning and I check these notifications on my Facebook and I see if, uh, a lady I know that her it's getting close to the one year of her daughter passing and kind of like you were saying um she had pictures and her daughter looks just like my daughter she's in the hospital tubes in her and she said I can't look at these and I just felt the same way I'm like and just seeing it just a glimpse I turned it off can't do it, yeah. Just like you said, where you hear something or you see something and immediately it puts you there. I mean, it's we're two and a half years and, and you're it never puts ready. me right there. And you're never ready. Yeah. But here's the thing I will say. After I saw that, and this is something I've been working on, and this is something you will always work on. My mom's been gone for 25 years. And I had to immediately go sit down and think of all the things I'm grateful for. So that way it didn't hurt my whole day or that I didn't, you know, I wasn't a mess the entire day for my kids or for work and life. And that's something you're going to find and it may take a while, but you'll find it. Yeah. It's really hard feeling grateful for anything when you go through something like that. Um, and I never grew up religious, but people loved to throw religion in their advice for me. And it was never helpful. And I feel like if I were to be religious, if I were to believe in a God or heaven, it would make my process easier that maybe this was God's plan for her or for me or that she's in a better place. But to be honest, I wish I believed in that and I don't. Um, so to find gratefulness or to find my strength or to feel better, I have to live the life that my mom would have wanted me to because this is the only life that I am sure of and I owe it to myself. And to her, to live it fully. Definitely. You're amazing, Samantha. Something I want to ask. There's so, like, there are so many people that have and will and at this moment are thinking or have committed suicide. This is something, I mean, I know this is why you're doing this. This is so important to you. Is there anything now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, that you wish you could have said, done, or something where you're like, okay, that it could possibly help someone else in your situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like those who are doing it genuinely are doing it for, for the betterness of those around them or what they think is the betterness. In my mom's final goodbye that she wrote, she talks about how she felt the only one that truly loved her was my grandma. And that she wasn't worthy of the love. And after she passed, we had 400 plus people at her funeral. And in her journal, she wrote that only one person she felt truly loved her. And it's never true. And people are never better. My mom probably had that final thought in her bathtub. Like, this is really it. Like, I really am not coming back. And my kids are going to be better off. And I wish she could see me sitting on this couch right now being a big hot mess because I'm not. And nobody ever is. 
and things get better and things come in waves. And like I said, with grief, it's not a process. With life, it's not a process. You don't suddenly get to a point, oh, I completed college, oh, I completed this, I have a job now, where it's, I'm here now. Things are not a point or a steady line. It is, I don't know, a trial, a hike. And it's all over. It's it never ends. Someday hits you, and some days you're like, I'm doing good. I'm mm-hmm. doing good today. It's not a destination. Mm-mm. It's not a destination, right? It's that, it's the process, it's the journey. There's so many cliches, but in reality, going through this thing we call life is the thing that brings us joy. And we have the amount, the amount of joy there is in this world has to be balanced out and juxtaposed with the amount of sorrow that's in this world. They create one another. And the people who know the deepest sorrows and the deepest pain, for sure, 100%, also know the greatest joys and the greatest fulfillment. That is my experience. And that is the experience of people who I talk to every single day. Believing that, months, weeks, years after having gone through loss is very difficult. However, it doesn't change the fact that it's not true and that that is something that anyone can experience. And it also requires going through those deep, 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 dark, dark moments. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say is I remember for a, you know, a year after everything happened with Brady, thinking like, I, just, I don't want to feel this. I'm so tired. I'm so, I feel so much all the time. And now I, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but I absorb those days when I feel now. Mm-hmm. Because to me, the days when I am the saddest the days that are the hardest are the days I feel her the most. She's most present. Mm-hmm. I feel that way. I so put off thinking about my mom because when I do, I end up in a puddle of my own tears. Mm-hmm. And it always it ends that way every time. I have never been able to sit down by myself and think about her and not end up with a red swollen face. And so those days that I'm up at 2 a.m. just crying, having a really hard time or watching her slideshow or looking at pictures or reading our old text messages that I have on my phone, it's so difficult, but I feel her so much. And those pictures, they feel like days ago or pictures of me and her together. Knowing that I don't get any more of those, it's it's really surreal. And I she's so present and I agree that feeling, even though it sucks, it, it's necessary. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the best worst days. Yeah. Is there something? I I mean I I guess I've just thought about this for so many years with my own mom. Like, if you saw her today, what would you say to her? I, I used would. to I used to think if I could sit on a bench with my mom <laughs> for like ten minutes and just talk to her, what would I say? I'd curse her out first of all for trying <laughs> to freaking leave. Um, I just hug her. I never hugged my mom the last couple of years of her life because I spent so much time being angry at her and not really looking at it as a sickness or an addiction or anything. I was just so upset. I would say nothing and I would hug her. And it's really hard seeing people that look like her, like you said, in photos. Mm-hmm. We hired someone at my work that looks so much like her. 
And there are days that are hard where I just, I want to touch her and I want to tell her that I love her. And she has no idea why I want to do these things. But that's one thing. That's one thing that's been really hard is knowing that I will never have that physical connection with her. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. Hug the crap out of her and curse her out. <laughs> <laughs> Both of those things. Really yeah. good. Motherhood, daughterhood, that's how it works. If there's somebody who's listening to this with an earshot of this who is struggling with suicidal thoughts right now, as the daughter of someone who's taken their own life, what do you want to tell those people? Don't call the hotline if you don't want to. I know that that's such a thing when you're going through something that seems so deep and so personal that talking to someone on the other end of the phone doesn't seem stupid. So find someone. I know that you have somebody and you need to find them in person. You need to make a human connection. That is a quote from Matt directly. And you need to feel something other than your, your hatred or your pain or your agony. Because my mom spent so much time. I think I can't speak for everyone, but my mom, I think she felt so much pain because she never reached out to anyone. And that's also a part of depression that you isolate. And you need to find the strength for yourself to find that one person, whoever it is, and make a connection. Because you'll realize once that connection is made that you don't really want to go. That you are still here for something or for somebody because of that connection you just had. When my mom spent so much time being alone and wallowing in her own thoughts and her own self-hatred and this alcohol and her addiction, she lost sight of the fact that she was here for so many people and she had so much to live for and she never reached out. So don't call the stupid hotline if you don't want to call the stupid hotline. But find somebody. Make a connection is my advice. And for people who are dealing with a loved one who wants to die, what do you tell those people? I know that's a heavy question It is for a 19-year-old girl. But you're one of the wisest young people I've ever met in my entire life. And I have no doubt that you have immense wisdom to share with us. Because there's sitting on the other side of this, I don't know what to say to people sometimes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I knew that my mom wanted to die or, you know, she had made attempts. I knew that. And you cannot wrap your life around trying to save them. Because overall, if they want to die, they're going to. But you need to accept what they are going through, whether it be true mental illness, addiction, for what it is rather than who you are dealing with. I lost sight of who my mom was. I hated my mom, and that wasn't the person that I hated. I hated my mom when she was drunk, or I hated my mom when she was on... I didn't hate my mom. You and hated you, the addiction. I, you need to find the thing that you hate and disassociate it from the person that you truly care for. And you need to put that effort in, but you don't need to lose yourself into putting that effort in. You need to make it there. You need to make it present. And they'll see that. But I, that's my biggest regret is being spending so much time being so angry over something that really it wasn't her fault. And I still I still live with that. So. Yeah, and I think you, you were young too. Yes. You know, yeah. you're, you're a kid and you're yeah. going through this. I hope you find some grace for yourself, some mercy. <laughs> because you, you 
did a really good job supporting your mom. I tried. It was also during junior high when it's like when it's cool to hate your parents. Like you love your parents and you're kind of you're dumb, right? That's just how it goes at that age. Yeah. Well, and one thing you said that I never really made a connection with before, but there's this whole treatment modality called um, internal family systems, and basically what it is is you you learn that the human has different parts to it. And we each carry with us somebody who protects us, that's a part of us, somebody who feels weak, somebody who's a child, somebody who keeps all of our problems at bay. And we can not like the way that somebody reaches out and asks for help. And we can not like that part of them, but that doesn't mean we hate the true self mm-hmm. of the person, which I think is what, essentially what you're saying. Like, yeah. My mom was reaching out and asking for help in this really unhealthy, ineffective way. I hated that. Mm-hmm. I hated the behavior that she was doing. Mm-hmm. But I still loved my mom at her core. Yeah. Did I tell her that? Probably not because yeah. I'm 17. <laughs> but yeah. looking back, you understand now mom was there the best way she knew how and the best that she could. And it just it makes so much sense. I look back on it now and she would do the craziest things where I just thought was so stupid and so ridiculous. And it's just, it's like I said, when you're bleeding out, you're going to do anything you can to get attention. And she was. And it's so hard when nobody can really see how much you're bleeding out. It's, in, it's all inside. And you're slowly dying and no one really knows. And everyone blows it off. So, I agree. I think one thing, too, is with anybody that's going through struggles of any sort, I don't think anybody ever looks back and says, I... I hugged them way too much. (laughs) I loved them way too much. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone ever says that. Mm -hmm. And one thing with suicide, I grew up, like Matt said, um, religiously learning, I guess. Maybe, maybe, I don't even know, but I learned that suicide was wrong. Suicide was selfish. All these negative things. And the more I've um, known people and interacted with people, People, if someone is has committed suicide, it is a mental illness. It is not, they are not meaning to do anything harmful. And like you said, they do it. I think they genuinely do it because they love these people so much and they feel like it's better. It and was, it will yeah. never be every single person in this world matters to somebody, yeah. to multiple people. And if we can somehow help everyone feel that, I would love to see these rates go down because it is horrifying. You're so right. It is. It was my mom's last act of love in the sick and twisted and wrong way that it was. It is never, oh, I'm going to do this to be selfish. Mm-hmm. It is always, I think they'll be better off if I'm gone. And it's just, it's not, it's not true. It's not right. Yeah. You mentioned um, how prevalent this is. Just to kind of throw out a statistic real quick. It's the third leading cause of death for people under 50. It's, yeah. it's not a small problem. And if you're here locally in Utah, you're more likely to die by suicide if you're under age 25 than anything else. It's true. It's, it's a big deal. There's no room for taboo in this anymore. It is killing our families and our friends and children. Um. It's a big topic, and there are so many outlets that are still so uncomfortable. And my mom deserves to be talked about whether or not it is uncomfortable. And your thoughts and your 
whatever you're going through deserves to be talked about. Whether or not people don't really get it or people don't really understand, you, it needs to be talked about. And you want to remember her. Yeah. You want to remember the good every day. And that's what you need to focus on. And I agree. Whether it's hard, whether it's uncomfortable, those are the questions that are important. Those are the people that matter or the ones that do want to talk and do want to mm-hmm. listen. Because there's always one. You just you have to find them. You know plenty of people. You're amazing. <laughs> oh, Sam, Sam, thank you so much. Seriously. <laughs> I, so I just have to say this. That for, for me, this experience to sit next to you, Bethany, and to sit across from you, Sam, and hear you to connect, because I know you both separately very well, deeply, intimately, to hear you guys connect like this was a, it, it was miraculous for me to, to watch you two connect and to hear you t- guys tell your stories. So thank you for letting me, me be witness to it. It was life-changing for me, and I hope that other people could feel that on the other end of this as well. Um, let's take a minute and just kind of say what we want to pull out of this. What are, what's the big send home message that you want to leave with everybody? I'll go first. I want everybody out there listening to know that you matter And no matter what you're going through, your struggle can be understood by someone. And if you feel like everyone in your life doesn't understand your struggle, ask more, find new people, kick the people in your life who don't understand you out (laughs) because there are people who get it. There are. They're everywhere. If you look, you matter. And if you want to matter to somebody, you can reach out to us. Because you matter to us, for sure. Um, I guess my biggest takeaway is we all need to find connection. That is what makes us feel worthwhile. That is what makes us feel important, is if we connect with anybody. And I'm not talking Facebook, and I'm not talking Instagram. Those are little minor things. I'm talking physical, in-person connection. We need to find those groups that we can go to to grieve together. We need to find the friendships where we can hang out and laugh and have fun together. These are all so incredibly important. So if you do not have that connection or if you see someone who doesn't have that connection, that's where we should be looking. That's where we should be putting that energy is into finding those people and helping them. Yeah, I agree. Um, Shoot, I just lost my train of thought. Um, sometimes the idea of working so hard just to stay alive for this, for this mediocre life that you're living made me. I look at my mom and I think, you know, she was working at a grocery store, busting her ass, sorry for the swear word, for okay. um, to pay for this kind of mediocre house with her girls that were growing up and doing her own thing. And for her, for me to step in her shoes and look at it, the idea of working so hard to live a life that maybe didn't seem worth it is probably really difficult. And I know in a generation where a lot of us are depressed, a lot of genuinely depressed, mental illness is very present in today's young society to the idea of how much ahead is ahead of you and how hard it's going to be to accomplish anything 
and it's and it's all worth it. It's not an end goal. That's what I want to take away. Nothing is an end goal. No amount of school, no job, no amount of kids. You're not going to sit in a chair one day and it's all going to be done. Um, so to find happiness within your process and to find your strength within your life and within what you love and within the people that you love and to make the connection, like you said. Love that. Love that. Yes. Oh, that that's... I love. I can't believe you're 19. Right. I'm just like. I am just. I'm 18, by the way. Okay, 18. I didn't want my family to listen to this and be like, "What the heck? She you don't lied. even know how old you are." Sorry. That's but my just fault. to I say, 19. I mean, to to find happiness in the process. I love it. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge, and I think if we all found that, you know, it's not going to be perfect every day, mm-hmm. but to keep looking because yeah. it's you're going to find some. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, that was amazing, you guys. Thanks for listening. Again, if anyone has knows of someone is feeling something that you feel like you're not worth it, any of this, please contact us, contact someone. And the rest of us out there who maybe aren't feeling this way, look for this. Sam gave a lot of great things, I felt like, of things we can be looking for. And I, we need to open our eyes and look because it is here. It is in our face. It's in our families. And we need to be aware and we need to help it. That's our job. The ones, those of us who are doing okay, that is our job is to find you and help you. And we're going to work on that. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time on Finding Strength. Okay. So if you stuck around for that whole thing, it was amazing. Sam is, uh, I, we just sat here in awe that she's 18 years old and was right? so wise, so... I, she, the stuff she says, I can't even like. Well, her thought process. I'm like, I don't think I could have thought like that at 18. No. I think the anger would no have taken way. over. I'm really, it's really cool to see the way she can empathize and the way she is dealing with this in her own head in order to live a happier life. And even her analogy, like she came up with that on her own. Yeah, that was amazing. Incredible. Incredible human being. Gives me a lot of faith in the next generation coming up. I know people talk crap on millennials all the time. Sam is a millennial and she is part of that generation and they're going to do amazing things. We don't give them enough credit. I agree hundred percent. I, I think I look at my own kids and I think you're amazing. You're so much better than I was. Yeah. Um, we really, really want to push suicide awareness. You guys, this is huge. It's a big deal. I know we said it multiple times through the episode, but this is, we have got to do better. We have got to help each other more. Um, a couple of things I, we do want to, hit on the suicide hotline. If you don't have someone, you've got to find a way. You can text, text 741741. Just text someone. That's simple as that. See if, if that will help. Otherwise, you can call 1-800-273-8255. It's available 24 hours a day, every day. We really, we've got to help people. We've got to shut down these numbers. I can't. It's awful. It is awful. And if you know somebody who is feeling suicidal and you don't know what to do, that is the number to call. It's not just for people who are feeling suicidal. It's for family members who need resources. I, a mental health professional, refer people to that phone number all the time because I don't have all the answers either. Literally all they do all day long, every single day, 24 hours a day, is talk people off the ledge literally and metaphorically, and they can help you do that as well. It's a great, great resource. You can Google suicide awareness. This whole month is suicide awareness month. 
please like go follow the the suicide associations on Facebook. There's so many resources out there. Share away and give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you guys. And just to end this, I want to say that we need to brighten someone's day. We obviously have so many people with depression and that are struggling. Do something for someone today. Anyone. Find that person and do something nice. Everybody can make some small effort today. And if you are feeling down, depressed, sad, and need to talk to somebody, hit me up. Give me a call. I'd love to help out. That's what I do. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me anywhere. You can contact us through the Facebook, uh, the podcast Facebook website or Facebook address stuff. Anyways, hit us up. That's the bottom line. Yes, and I'm still working on figuring out social media. <laughs> so hit me up so I can learn ways. Yeah. DM, DM Bethany because she doesn't know how to respond to DMs. <laughs> so definitely I'm do that. working on it. <laughs> Anyways, we love you all. Thanks for the feedback. We'll see you next time on Finding Strength. Isn't there? They say, who cares if one more light goes out in the sky of a million stars? It flickers.